You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to Flipping Tables episode 108. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. <laughs> and I'm your other host, Michael Edwards. And we have a couple announcements before we get into the main show topic. Uh, the main thing is I want to kind of plug my little uh, podcast side project, Tour Denver, which also happens to be a live storytelling event. So next week on March 8th, we're going to crash Fort Greene here in Denver and uh, have some... Uh, the theme this week is uh, First Muse. And uh, we have some curated storytellers coming to tell really badass stories. And as always, I'll be recording it and releasing a podcast. And our first episode's already up. Up. So head to rackandtourdenver.com to find out more about this cool storytelling project. Woo. And our other announcement is we're doing another live stream. Uh, we're calling it Super Flipping Tables Let's Play Ultra Arcade Edition 108 Plus Turbo. <laughs> and the turbo is because we have new challengers. Uh, Matt and Benji, uh, fellow uh, podcast regulars, uh, Matt co-host bits and pieces with me and benji's been on several of our shows as a guest uh they're visiting denver and part of the festivities is we're gonna set that camera back up set up some mics and play some more classic games we haven't picked exactly which games yet but we're gonna focus on fewer games and actually trying to beat them so we might pick <laughs> awful games like i don't know simon's quest or i don't know we don't even know yet or nothing like home alone you don't want to beat home alone <laughs> no n- not bubsy for game boy <laughs> So this will be happening Sunday, March 6th at 5 p.m. And uh, we have this tagline. I want you to say it. So So it's March 6th, 5 p.m., four players, three different games, drinking two different kinds of alcohol in one person's apartment. Oh, yeah. With zero regrets. (laughs) Ah, well done. That's a beautiful bow on my bullshit cake there. (laughs) All right, enough marketing. Let's get into the show. So we spent hours, (laughs) plural, well, not if you count our other topics, talking about Apple and the FBI. And there's a little follow-up. I mean, I feel like we said so much that there's not too much (laughs) more we need to say um, other than just I'm watching this case like a hawk because it kind of impacts the future of everything. Um But, you know, Apple did file their actual uh, legal response, which had uh, several arguments based on the All Writs Act and uh, some actual constitutional arguments with the First Amendment and the Fifth Amendment. Um, And depending on who you read, it was either brilliant and and well-argued or novel arguments, um, not your kind of novel arguments, (laughs) or it was weak and reaching and desperate, and we'll see how this (laughs) plays out. yeah, I don't know. What did you make of it? Did you actually read? I think you read some I, of their. Yeah, I, I flipped. I, it's hard to stomach that much legalese. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought it was the thing I actually found most interesting was that they did end up going with the like code as speech First Amendment thing, because like you can't force us to incriminate ourselves. This is an undue burden. We aren't because uh, part of the the all writs thing is like their proximity to the crime and yeah. their argument is like we have nothing to freaking do with this like this is yeah. related to us in no 
legally yeah, relevant. If it happened right? in Apple headquarters, okay. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I expected all that stuff based on just a lot of the chatter and my very limited understandings of, of these deep legal concepts. But I was a little surprised that they were like, no, the, the company producing something like code counts as speech and you can't compel us to speech. So yeah. that that was a little surprising to me. Not because I think it's an invalid argument. It just that to me seems like the weakest of their arguments. Well, it's one of the things that I mean, there is case law like supporting the idea. It's not just completely left field like this is the first time someone's made that case. Um but it is like something that I don't think the judicial system is set interest like clear limits on or, or context to because like our world is going to be pretty much entirely code you know <laughs> before you know it and there's no way you can just say hey it's code you can't do anything governments um so that there's got to be limits somewhere on this and we just don't know where the courts are going to fall on that and i I, th- I mean i feel like apple's strongest uh, argument there is that you know a big part of their stance as a company as evidenced by their marketing and the way they design their products is all about security and law and being you know knowing you're secure using these products and so forcing them to undermine that is forcing them to change what they say about their products yeah, I don't it's know like, if it's like if you fly. made all the the police remove to protect and serve from the size of their <laughs> cars. It's like, yeah. no, it's kind of what we're all about, or supposed to be all about. Um, one of the interesting wild cards is the one of Apple's lawyers is Ted Olson, who uh, is famous for um, winning Florida for Bush in two thousand. Well, the court case, um, which I don't know enough about. <laughs> if like maybe the like even though everyone's like, oh, he stole Florida. Um, Maybe the court case is really mundane and straightforward and not controversial. And it's just like, okay, based on these rules, this happens. Um, I can't speak on that. But he also defeated Prop 8 in California before it went on to the Supreme Court as it got appealed. Um, And so he's an interesting guy because he's a conservative, but he appears to be some kind of more classical government should have limits conservative and not just kidding. It's law enforcement or terrorism. (laughs) Forget everything. Um, and there's this great clip I wanted to include of him arguing with Fox News about Prop 8, um, basically because Fox News is like, but judges are legislating from the bench. This is judicial activism. And he's like, shut the f*** up. <laughs> um, and that, it was just, it's, it's, it's a badass clip. So, Yeah, I, I think this is, the way you're describing it, this is the kind of conservatism that I think most conservatives think they're representing and then they all forget about the unlimited powers to military and law enforcement even though they're like no we need to tighten the budget oh wait they need golden bullets in their guns <laughs> it's just it gets crazy and we don't have to get into that but uh the, there was another piece of follow-up tied to this that i wanted to bring up uh i had mentioned one of us i think it was me but one of us had mentioned like this person's dead and like right to privacies around uh you know post-mortem and uh one of our listeners sent me a Stuff You Should Know article and was just like, Rafflecopter, when you die, you lose all of your rights, <laughs> which is alarming to me in a lot of ways because your rights don't completely go out the window. Like uh, anything that would damage still living people who are immediately uh, like tied to you, like your family, uh, they still have some protections. 
So you don't completely lose your rights, but you you pretty nearly <laughs> lose them, like in ways I did not really expect. And the reason that it was relevant to this case is uh, a lot of people had asked, and I think you had also asked, if it had been less than 48 hours and it was an iPhone 6, could they have just mashed his dead finger onto the fingerprint reader and then unlocked it? Because when would anyone know or care if they had? I mean, <laughs> right. But I mean, even if that was revealed to the public, would that have been breaking the law? And there's some evidence that the answer is no. Like that actually That's part would, of you. It's not secret incriminating yeah, knowledge. Yeah, it's uh, that's really weird. And that really makes me wonder how we're going to see legislation change around biometric security, because everyone in the tech and security world agrees that passwords are terrible and they're not sustainable long term because of things like brute forcing, right? Like if you have yeah. access to a raw database of passwords, you can do the magic and get them all back eventually. And uh, something like a fingerprint is not like super magical secure, but it's better security than like Hunter 2 for all <laughs> yeah. of your passwords, which is what a lot of people do. So, uh, you know, as we move towards things like retina and and who knows what kind of more advanced biometrics, are we going to have to change the laws around that stuff to make it count as like knowledge at least in that context or can you be you know can the can if you're in court can they like grab you by the wrist and like put your thumb onto a device to unlock it yeah well i, I think they can if, if your device <laughs> is in that state and i mean to be fair if, if you really are worried about that you can obviously disable that feature but it's really convenient super um, convenient just like one hunter of, two one of the other cases that comes to mind is that there was some lady that had an encrypted laptop and i think the court ordered her not that she had to give up her password but that she had to provide an unencrypted copy of the contents of the laptop so it's like you don't have to tell us your password but you have to unlock your computer and uh you know, this is a tricky thing. I mean, I, I think that case wasn't that controversial, even though everyone who is worries about security is like, what is the government allowed to compel you to do? Um, and, I, and, you know, with a court order, um, it seems fair to me that the judge can be like, hey, this is an actual search warrant. Open up your laptop. That's reasonable to me. Right. Um, versus a back door with, with full dragnet of everything everyone's <laughs> doing. Not cool. Um yeah, we see. We, it's dangerous because we're so tempted to go right back off into the weeds again. Yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> I will say, uh, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, and Verizon, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure others by now, but they all have officially taken Apple's side in this. Um, which, from Microsoft, it's not terribly surprising. Facebook is also not terribly surprising particularly because they want people to think positively of their security yeah. principles. Um, Google, you know, everybody gave Sundar Pichai a hard time for not being aggressive enough in his tweets, but they have officially said like, yeah, we're, we back Apple. Um, but the Verizon one is weird. Well, especially because AT&T CEO said directly negative things about Apple's stance. So, you yeah. know, like telecoms like seems like kind of a horrible <laughs> political space for this. I mean, the, the telecoms just seem horrible, in, you know, in general. <laughs> in every um, imaginable way. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just really surprised when it was like, oh, Verizon takes a stance. 
by Apple's side. And I was like, who cares what they think? I mean, good. <laughs> it's awesome. But get out of here, Verizon. This has nothing to do with you. <laughs> and me too. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I get, actually, you know what? That's really not fair because uh, they have all the metadata logs that the government has been tracking and, and storing for a long time. Who'd you call? How long was the duration? Not the content of the call, but all the metadata around so it. We're gonna get we're gonna get sucked <laughs> back in. That's one thing that annoys me about the FBI right now is because they one of the things they're claiming is we want to find other contacts from this phone. I'm like, you already know literally anyone that was ever called or texted from that phone that has been handed to you. It's Unless you think they're using some end to end encrypted app specific thing to chat with someone. No, I, I need to anyway. know the dominoes that they had in their phone book because they thought they were going to order from there, but they never actually <laughs> called it, so it doesn't appear in the records. Uh, uh, anyway. Let's not get sucked in. Yeah, let's was that enough follow-up on that? Uh, the other thing uh, from a listener is uh, some interesting stuff around 3D sound. So I had said when we were talking about VR that uh, 3D sound and, and immersive sound or whatever the correct you know marketing <laughs> term for this is going to be. Retina sound, I think. Retina sound. <laughs> trademark apple is going to be as important uh as any of the video thing in fact uh now that i've listened to a few of these things that you can find in the show notes at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 108 um i think the 3d sound the realistic sound is actually more relevant to immersion because we have i don't know all of history of looking (laughs) at uh video and pictures and artwork and all kinds of visuals that are not completely photorealistic, but functionally suspending our disbelief. And I don't think we're very good at that with audio. I think when you hear something where the audio is out of sync or it doesn't behave in the way you expect, you're very aware, like I am watching a movie or I'm, you know, at a concert or whatever is, is different than if you are you know, if, if someone runs across the screen and you hear them move from like your left to your right as they pass by you. Um, and that, that's what these links are. It's, it's one of them is a Kickstarter for the Osic X, uh, this, these 3d headphones. And then the other one is a demo that you can do with any headphones called headphone X. Um, but both of these made me realize something very important. Uh, you can't do, you can't retcon this. Like, I can't just buy these Osic X headphones and play Call of Duty or watch Star Wars and it's going to be suddenly in 3D audio because there's no data for that. Am, yeah. I, am I wrong about this? Well, I mean, a lot of Blu-rays or movies come with surrounds. I don't know if it's compatible directly if they'd have to do some codec stuff, but movies often come with surround sound. Wouldn't they have to be? Well, what's what's considered surround? Is that left and right? Well, I mean, there's... There's 5.1, there's 7.1, there's all these different designations, like Dolby stuff. Well, so, like, stereo would be, like, left, right, and center, and then... Well, five stereo's po- just left, right, and then both at the would, same yeah. time. okay. Splitting, splitting hairs, Michael. Well, no, because the surround sound, there often is an actual center speaker, so oh, that's why okay. I make the distinction. Well, so this is why this is important to me, because if you have on headphones, you essentially have a left and right speaker pressed up against your head. Right, So if you're listening to something surround sound on headphones, you don't have a center speaker. It has to be both at the same time, right? Yeah. And then I don't know what kind of technical wizardry makes it sound like it's in front of you or behind you. 
or moving. Yeah, I wonder if that's almost like the the way we're used to sound reflecting or the reverb of it or the like the the muffled versus clarity of it like other eq tricks for like in front of you is a little clearer than behind you i mean presumably it has to be some kind of something like that it, they can't actually be placing the sound yeah around it it's more like we mixed you. it like we recorded something with the object actually behind the microphone and so that's what we used as the actual sound for that yeah, thing. I don't know. Um, but I, I think to me, this is, is after listening to the, even just this little very boring tech demo, uh, this to me is proof positive that VR graphics can always lag behind if the sound is awesome. And then it's kind of like smell for eating food. <laughs> it's like people don't think of it as the primary thing, but it actually matters a whole lot. I think you're right. I think that's a really weird analogy, but I think you're like a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> I have to point out a couple of things. So on the Osic X video, um, there's two things I have to point out. And one is for a Kickstarter about high quality sound or new kinds of sound, they have some pretty terrible audio. Um, they, they have like some like, you know, it's probably just candid and they decided to use it because it was really enthusiastic feedback from actual users. But there's just guys in a room with the headphones on like loving it. And the sound of their interview is like <laughs> the most roomiest of room tones. It's like you hear the wall more than their voice kind of recording. <laughs> and then uh, toward the end, they have, you know, they mix it in with like, you know, hip backlit like happy footage of families and stuff using the osic x and they have this like wife carrying their family dog hanging out around her husband with the headphones on and that just <laughs> seemed like who pitched this scene and thought it was like a, a realistic scene of how anyone would ever use this like my, my husband's doing the dishes and i can't hear him but i'm hanging out with them <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh... I feel like I've heard some people say they use headphones at home, but I feel like that's a I don't have kids thing. Like you can't <laughs> unless like your spouse is watching the kids and you're like working or something. You can't just be like, oh, kids, I'm sorry. I'm not listening to you. I <laughs> I have headphones in. Maybe if they're over a certain age or under a certain age, but yeah. most of the time they're living at home. You can't just be like, la, 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 I'm not listening. <laughs> they will immediately tap your headphones. Yeah. But this is, I mean, what do you, uh, you know, silly, terrible Kickstarter video aside, um, do you think you would trade a little bit of graphics fidelity for really rock solid, I feel like I'm there, audio in the world of this false dichotomy I just made. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, why is that the trade-off? Um, yeah, I mean, once you're getting to the point of, like, caring about immersion, then, I mean, it's sort of like you want nothing to be absolutely so weak that it takes you out of the experience. So, <laughs> you know, once the graphics get good enough, and even, like, PS4-level graphics, I imagine, are going to be fine depending on the game. It's just, like... It just depends on what the game or experience is trying to do. <laughs> yeah, I guess the difference for me there with graphics is I would look, if I had you know a VR headset on and I was looking at even like PlayStation 2 quality graphics, I would accept like, well, this is what the world I'm in looks like. And I, yeah, I feel like you get used to it yeah. after, you know, five minutes. But if you're supposed to be, you know, running from zombies or you're driving a race car and 
you can't hear the other cars about to pass you. Like that's a real thing. Like you need that kind of sense of awareness. I mean, one of my big problems with VR and first person games has always been that you can't, um, like dart your eyes to the left and right. Yeah. Like turn your entire torso. (laughs) Yeah. It's your entire body because your neck doesn't turn on its own. Like that was one of the things that made, uh, mirror's edge so frustrating because you had to look straight at the ground and run toward the edge when in reality you would be looking out (laughs) at your destination and you would just dart your eyes down yeah you know also what makes goldeneye so hilarious (laughs) just watching people strafe and their entire bodies holding the gun out like yeah it's ridiculous yeah so there's some upsides Is it, yeah, I want I want I think I want the sound even more than photorealistic graphics. That'll be cool. Don't get me wrong. I do want both. But yeah. for like version one, if they could focus more on sound, I think that would be one of those it's it's the smell. It's exactly like you said. They <laughs> people won't know that that's what makes it a winner, but it will make it a winner. All right, let's get into our show. Well, gaming's a good a good uh, segue. Um you kind of had this topic here, good guy mobile games. What do you mean by good guy mobile games? So I've been, you know, I have a, a newborn at home and um, full-time job, and I just haven't been getting a game a lot. But I did get recommended this game called Alto's Adventure, which is a, uh, imagine ski-free as like for, as an endless runner. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a snowboarding game. You try and do tricks and make points and collect coins and pretty straightforward not super complicated you're given little challenges and if you beat the challenges you go up a level if you go up enough levels yeah. it unlocks another character it's not a revolutionary like jetpack joyride yeah very you know a billion other games exactly like it the difference is the music is beautiful the artwork is absolutely gorgeous the whole like feel of the game is super super polished and buttery smooth and nice but what made it for me as like a good guy game is uh, there are only two places in the entire interface that there's ads. One of them, and the game's free. One of them is if you die, you can, you're given the opportunity. Do you want to watch an ad? And it's, you could not accidentally press this button because your, your thumbs are near the edge of the screen. The watch the ad button is in the middle of the screen. The go ahead without pushing the ad button is where your thumb already was. So, like, they don't trick you into pushing it. Nice. And the ads are usually, like, 15 or 30 seconds, right? And then you pick up right where you died, and you go back, you know, trying to make your your trick combos super sick. And (laughs) the other place is uh, there's, like, coins that you collect that let you buy, um, like, the magnet power up, make it last longer, right? There's, like, a wingsuit so you can, like, fly a little bit, right? Like, stereotypical. usual stuff. Yeah. But you can just press a button next to your coin count and watch like a 15 second ad. And they just give you 500 coins. And considering the rate at which you collect coins in the game, that's actually really good. Like it's exceptionally generous. And again, you couldn't possibly press it by mistake. It's out of the way. It's very small. They never shove it in your face. And (laughs) I was just like, man, I like, this is not a bad way to do ads in a mobile game because a lot of people are probably like, you know what? I just want to power up the magnet all the way. So I'm just going to watch like 10 minutes of ads right now. <laughs> yeah. Just like press, 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 press while they're actually watching Netflix over here. They're not yeah. even paying attention. And like, that's a really kind of cool thing of them to do. Like I would totally be fine with more 
games having ads like that. Yeah. Well, even Kingdom Rush has implemented that it's probably just to get some revenue for old games that they've already finished and aren't going to get more money out of people for um they you know they have the 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 same bag of coins system where you can buy power-ups so you could beat that hard level and you can watch ads to get free hundreds of crystals or whatever it is the currency is and uh i'm I'm totally cool with that like upfront trade-off of like don't worry, we didn't design the game to be impossible unless you do this. It's just if you actually don't feel like waiting, um, watch an ad, you got it. And that's like, as long as they stay in that space of like, we didn't design our game just to force you into this, um, I'm totally cool with that. It did remind me of Black Mirror, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, was it 15 million credits episode? Yeah, I don't remember the title of the episode, but yeah, where I think everything... it's fifteen million, whatever their money is. Yeah, but yeah, which... they, have to, they have to spend money to not see ads, and it's like really it gets aggressive with like really awful things that are shown to them. Yeah, uh, such a good episode though. That whole show, man, it's just so good. <laughs> I do have some other games that I would recommend. I, I I actually have been playing very many mobile games, but the one I always fall back to is Nurushima Hex. Uh, which is on both Android and iOS. And I just, you know, it hits like some perfect level of difficulty when I play against three computers at full difficulty. Um, I can beat them half the time and it's always an interesting fight except for those random rounds where the AI like all at once says, fuck you, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Aside from that, um, it's it looks like Catan, but I mean, you've seen this game before, um, but just for the listener, it's basically like a turn based. You stack all your tiles on and then a battle gets launched and then you kind of evaluate like dominoes. It's one of those games that playing in real life would be so annoying because you'd have to like <laughs> draw out like a uh, what's that movie with the insane timelines that everyone always talks about? <sighs> yeah, that. I'll find it and put it in the show notes. Okay. God, I'm so cool. I'm going to think of it later and like interject and interrupt you. Um, (laughs) Anyway, it'd be really annoying to play in real life because you'd be arguing about the causality of the board. And since it's on a computer, it does that for you. Um, It's kind of how I feel about Carcassonne. Yeah. Like, I don't want to add up the score. Just make a (laughs) robot that does that. Yeah. I listed several games, but just one other I'll mention that Justin showed me, uh, Justin, my brother, not Justin Rothgar. Um, he, uh, <laughs> it's called Battleship Solitaire, and it's kind of like, uh, it's the easiest shortcut to describing it is it's like Minesweeper, but with a battleship skin. So you're trying to discover where all the ships are, and there's different, it's, there's some twists on it that make it a little different than Minesweeper, but really, really satisfying puzzle game. That can take definitely a week or two out of your life just every night playing a few puzzles. And I like that game designers have gotten good about mobile games. Because, I mean, there's still lots and lots and lots of terrible (laughs) mobile games. I mean, they outnumber good ones probably literally a thousand to one because people just want to skin Bejeweled and make a cash grab out of it. But (laughs) there are plenty of good games there there are more good games now on your average power android phone or even like a generation or two old iphone than a normal person could get to and that's that's a good place to be we're like man there's so much good stuff i don't even have to worry about the garbage because i'm never going to get through all the good stuff they even just put out like a a full console style assassin's creed game on 
iOS at least, and presumably Android soon or already. I didn't look because I don't have an Android device. <laughs> um, but and it's not like, hey, it's a mobile game. It's like an actual full-on. Does it play well with screen controls? Because I find that kind of thing is usually just awful. I, I bet it plays terribly. But <laughs> I actually have a, a an, an MFI compatible controller for my iPad, so I can actually play it console style. So I just have a portable M- HD screen, MFI, basically. That, that's made for iPhone, isn't it? Yep. <sighs> <laughs> I don't know what's more disappointing, that they have their own Bluetooth accreditation process or that I was able to guess that. Yeah. <laughs> it is just a Bluetooth controller that happens to charge with lightning. Oh, okay. The the lightning port, I guess, is convenient. So uh, off of, you know, good guy stuff, uh, on to bad guy stuff, uh, Windows 10 has started putting ads on the lock screen. And it's on by default because Microsoft, uh, what's the phrase, um, refuses to learn from history. They have no class. <laughs> no <laughs> class. And uh, you can turn it off. Um, but they were already... It's labeled really terribly, though. It's not like oh, yeah, lock screen ads. It's, it's like... It it's... Uh, where is it? It's get fun facts, tips, tricks, and more on your lock screen. Literally, it's and the more. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, maybe don't lead off with an ad. Maybe have like a couple months of tips first, <laughs> right? And then slowly. I mean, with Windows Eight, uh, they had famously started installing games that were really just links to download the games, and you know that those were only there because some company, you know, Candy Crush Saga or whoever, was like, "Oh, hey." Just cram this into the start menu, and you don't have to actually install it. It's not bloatware. Yeah. Because then they'll click on it, and it'll ask them to install it. <laughs> and that's a weird kind of way that marketers think, where they're like, we technically followed the letter of the law. They just have this like self-absorption of like our experiences. We really just want to share it with people. I mean, they're going to love it, and it's like... No, stop it. <laughs> um, but I have to say, in Microsoft's defense, that my my gut visceral reaction to this when everyone spent you know their two or three hours on Twitter freaking out about it and writing their blog posts was, it's the lock screen. Like, do you really just sit and look at your lock screen? Who the hell cares what's on your lock screen? And this is coming from someone who's bought three Kindles with ads on the lock screen. Like, I just... Because who the hell looks at the lock screen? Yeah. You're right that the lock screen really doesn't matter, but I do think there's a difference here, and that's exactly your example, is when you bought your Kindle with ads, it was a cheaper Kindle, and it was right right up front. You knew right away, hey, there's going to be lock screen ads. Who cares? I saved 20 bucks or something. Um, Yeah, it's a non-trivial amount of money. It's, It's like 20 or 30 bucks. It's pretty good. So... That's just comes off as straightforward and upfront and not shady and opting you in with a poorly labeled setting and like having it activate, you know, in the middle of the night when you're not thinking about it. Like it just has all these like 
grimy associations. It's like, you know, someone like a Bernie supporter coming and say, hey, can I put a sign in your yard? And you're like, sure, or not, or whatever, um, versus someone just putting one in your yard in the middle <laughs> of the night. And it's like, well, it's your lawn. Who cares? You don't look at your lawn. Yeah. No, the, my, my gut reaction was like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. And then the more I thought about it, the more your exact point started to occur to me. And I was like, no, this isn't really what we agreed to, Microsoft. And... I, I'm back on the other side of it's not that big of a deal. Part of me thinks the desktop isn't sacred. Like when uh, Ubuntu famously started adding some ad search stuff to their their like global search. So if you searched for like, I don't know, you have a file named Macklemore, it would also show you like places you could buy Macklemore music. And that, I don't know if it's still in there or not, but a lot of people <laughs> were obviously freaked out about that. And part of me is like well the desktop isn't sacred like if you're connected to the internet you really shouldn't be that surprised that you see ads and yet uh even though i can't come up with a truly legitimate reason the desktop should be sacred and safe from ads like can we have one place can we have maybe (laughs) just one place that's safe well i mean maybe we're just bit by the history and the expectations that everyone like the desktop is mine right and the browser is where i go and look at other people's stuff so show me all the ads there because it's not my stuff and the desktop doesn't feel like part of that category i was you reminded me that even like people just feel intruded upon i mean i just have to bring <laughs> up you too and what <laughs> apple did like even though they didn't have to actually collect any personal data to do that people are like ah, ah you broke my- into my house and played a u2 concert there <laughs> that's exactly what this is no i mean i'm i'm with you it's and and it's perfectly reasonable to say hey this just feels skeevy I don't think you need to say, here is exactly why this is skeevy. If hundreds of thousands or millions of users all go, ew, don't do that. (laughs) Like that's reason enough, right? Because the, the way your users perceive you is super important. Apple has worked very hard to craft the way people see them. Amazon has worked very hard to craft the way people see them. And Microsoft has spent (laughs) some, you know, couple, couple hours on it. (laughs) Um, and this is just, it's an, it's an example of them being like, yeah, we have amazing technology and like no concept yeah. of human beings. Well, I, I feel like if you want to invade what people feel like is theirs, whether or not it really is theirs, um, your best bet is to like, what if Microsoft was instead like, Hey, want to earn like some gradual sense towards dollars towards apps in the Microsoft App Store? Why don't you just turn on yeah, it's sort of like Google Survey thing, which are totally opt-in. Yeah. But just like, hey, I'll take some surveys every once in a while and like get some Google Play credits. Like that doesn't feel skeevy because you're the, the transaction feels upfront. Like, what if you got like a couple cents of like not enough to like buy an app every week or something, but just you got a little bit to for seeing ads on your lock screen. I mean, and the most important part of that is opt-in, right? Yeah. Because even if they're only giving you five cents per ad, you know, per week you have ads enabled or per day or whatever, like it's still, I elected this. Like I agreed to this. Just like with my Kindle, like I decided that seeing ads forever for the entire lifetime that I own that device <laughs> was worth you know, the 20 or $30 I saved. But with a Kindle, I can honestly say 
you you know you lock it as you're putting it down so you don't even look at it <laughs> yeah. and as you're picking it up it's in front of you for half a second so and one time seems like a fair trade yeah and to be fair one time i actually noticed that the ad on the lock screen was for like 50% off an amazon gift card and i did it i followed that ad and i <laughs> cuz it was legit it was from amazon they they had like some one day special and i just happened to catch it so i was like eh. <laughs> Um, and then in more ad nonsense, uh, I don't need, do you use a read it later thing of any kind? Nope. None. You just bookmark the world. O- occasionally I save Reddit, but <laughs> I never follow up and look at my save. So it's kind of pointless. <laughs> it doesn't really count. <laughs> uh, so I use, um, pocket. Uh, I love it. It's, it used to be called read it later, I think. And then they rebranded and it's been great. And now they're going to start shoving sponsored content into your pocket stream. And How do you feel about this? Well, I knew the free ride was coming to an end like a year ago when they said, hey, there's now premium pocket. For $5 <laughs> a month, you can get these other stupid feature things. And in their defense, they, they took nothing away from the free tier. So I didn't lose anything, and they have not added any features that I was like, oh, I got to have that. (laughs) So I have continued to use the free one. And looking at the mock-ups for what the sponsored uh, listings are going to be like, it's it's pretty clear. It says sponsored in, like, big letters. So as I'm scrolling through my list of, of things that I've pocketed. Is it more obvious than on Facebook? Oh, yeah. Facebook tries hard to camouflage that stuff. No, this is... I, I mean, it's it's right in, like, the banner where the title is. So I guess if all you do is click on articles based on the header image, you might miss it. But, I mean, like, this one, it says sponsored by Intel image and then the actual title of the article. So as you're scrolling, you would get to the word sponsored before you even get to the article, which to me feels fair, Right. Like, hey, this thing you're about to see is an ad. Here's the thing. So I'm, I'm. I mean, it hasn't hit hit me yet. It hasn't hit my, my my account. I guess because they're probably doing like a staged thing. Um, but this certainly feels a lot less skeevy than the way Microsoft did. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, it's not your desktop. It's their app that you right. choose to use. So the worst case is like you decide that it's too annoying and you stop using it, but you don't feel personally affronted. Like you broke into my house and started showing me sponsored content. Ooh, quick, uh, comparative question. Another beautiful false dichotomy. Uh, (laughs) so pocket is free with ads now. Um, but I could say, I want to keep using the service. I don't want the ads. And there's a, a way to pay out of that. Uh, windows 10 free. Does that give them permission to shove ads in your face? That Windows 10 is free for the 99% of regular people that would ever use it? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's all a negotiation with <laughs> your users on what they consider theirs. Like, uh, where's the line then? Um, okay, lock screen. Okay, desktop. Let's say you give those up. Okay, spreadsheet where you're planning in for your In the middle of editing a <laughs> Word document? <laughs> I like that we both went directly yeah. to Microsoft's office. It looks like you're trying to write a suicide note. <laughs> Here's Aww. our top suicide. 
<laughs> clinics. Sad panda. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I just I think it's interesting that mobile games right now are my like benchmark for quality ad experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's frustrating because I feel like when whenever I mean, I get the dilemma for a developer. You make a great app that is either it's like Pocket where no one will pay for that product category or very few people will ever pay for that product category. So you have to monetize it a different way. Either you either have to get publishers to want to pay to get access to your thing or and that doesn't seem to work too well. We'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. But um, <laughs> or you need to get sell ads, sell ads and put those in front of people. And the struggle, I think, is what the incentive for the ad products is to push the limits, to find the boundaries. How far can we go before users are too annoyed or too frustrated that they take action? Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems like for some people, if it means keeping it free, there is no too far. Yeah. And I also think that the slippery slope slash slow creep is part of what makes certain things possible at all. Like we would never accept uh, a Kindle with the ads on the lock screen. If the day they announced it, they were like the $99 Kindle. It's the greatest reading device ever. And then when you bought <laughs> your first book, it was like, we've enabled ads and you're like, Whoa, that's not what I agreed to. Cause it would like sneak <laughs> up on you and it would be, you know, it would break that agreement. But to say like, oh, there's ads in the web browser. And like, oh, well, the whole desktop is connected to the internet. So there can be really ads anywhere. <laughs> and then like, oh, you got to pay four ninety nine for solitaire. Remember when that <laughs> the whole freaking thing happened? Like, yeah, it's, it's the, I think for some people, the bridge is never going to be a bridge too far. And then like in pockets, the way pocket did it was they kind of announced like, hey, um, we need money to pay our staff and like keep servers running. So here's a premium tier. So they didn't immediately go to advertisers, right? They started with, if you like what we're doing, give us money. And then they were like, okay, we need more money than that. But it, like, I mean, we've watched this with Twitter over the years, just get more and more saturated with, I think the most annoying recent one to me is when I tap on a conversation that there's, or like I tap for the details on a tweet that there's ads under that that look like replies when you first get there and they're not replies. I hate that one because it's fully camouflaged, fully like blending in. Well, I've noticed now, or at least on the Android app, because uh, I'm back to using the official Twitter app again, when you <laughs> back um, to your do a pull to refresh, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, but when you do a pull to refresh, the second tweet is always a promoted tweet. So it gets you like rolling down the hill where you're like reading a real thing because it's the first thing. And then you're like, now I'm going to read the second thing. And you're like, I just read an ad. Like you. The other thing that came to mind with all this ad talk, like saturated with ads is a walking dead often has like, so most of our episodes are an hour long on TV and most of their finales are an hour and a half. But of course that's not 100% showtime, but guess how much difference how much difference in episode time there is between the one hour and the hour and a half? I'm going to go with seven minutes. Uh, it's not even that much. Oh. So normal shows are about 45 minutes of content with 15 minutes of ads. The <laughs> finales are usually 50 minutes of content stretched what? into an hour and a half with more ads. 
So it's just like, oh my God, I will catch this on Netflix in a year or two when I don't have to see any of that crap. Yeah, seriously. I, 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 I appreciate the hard work that uh, Shelby and Polly of Likely Story <laughs> put in watching this stuff when it's new so they can talk about it. Um, but oh my God, commercials. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you guys have a TiVo. Oh no, we have or, DVR built into our... Yeah, whatever. Yeah. You have the... Sorry, you I just I, I called it a Kleenex. <laughs> yeah, you guys have a Coca Cola, um, but I think Polly actually has to sit through the commercials like an animal, so <laughs> she's a trooper. Yeah, uh, gross. Anyway, let's talk about more terrible things tech companies are trying to do to us. Uh, someone shared this article with me on Twitter about how the new Facebook like button which in case you haven't seen, in Facebook you can now like things, you can uh, love them, which has a little heart, you oh. can wow them, which has a little oh. like excited face, uh, you can, um, oh God, what, what are the names? Well, there's a ones? crying and there's an angry. Crying and angry, and then what is, the, oh, ha ha, ha ha face, ha ha face. Um, and unlike Slack, you have to pick only one, you can't react multiple <laughs> Yeah, you can't ways. do a thousand things. Different, every different person can do different things. Uh, so this, this person, their, their argument was that by using the new like button, you were just giving Facebook so much more information about who you are and how you think and how you conduct yourself and your relationship to other people and that this is going to be a massive data mining effort for them. And, oh, no, wait, they all just look like likes to Facebook right now. But yeah. they could change it. <laughs> so it's the, the FUD machine going full it's blast. The, it's the FUD machine. But even, I mean, because they're going to change this, right? They're going to start eventually mining this data. And why the hell wouldn't they? Yeah. But, I mean, is Facebook really not? Is this going to tell them so much more? that this would make you concerned for your privacy. <laughs> like, I, I don't totally understand. Like I technologically understand it's this person's literally a last straw kind of thing. Like they've already taken everything <laughs> else you do. And this is where you're suddenly like, Oh no, they're going to know things about me. They already know where I live and every job I've ever had. And um, they're going to do analytics on all my pictures. If they haven't already of what's in the background and where I am for those. And Yeah. And, and and this i guess the thing that i find hilarious about this is the recommendation that they actually say keep just using the default like cuz it's a binary yes no it doesn't give them more information it's like yeah anyone who was going to do that already didn't tell facebook everywhere they've ever worked and doesn't post <laughs> pictures of their kids and every vacation they've ever been on and where they went to college and they're already using facebook like like 4chan right like totally anonymous like everybody's got on a guy fox mask and you can use facebook that way and it is fine if all you're trying to do is like consume other people's content but even if you want that you have to admit you have a connection to those people right you have to friend them because yeah. you can't well now you can you can anonymously follow people now but, but only if they have that set up that way. To and isn't that. that a signal that you're following someone? <laughs> like, I, just, I don't know. This seems FUD, I think, is the right term. Uh, but Facebook 
in particular. Like to say, oh, Facebook's going to data mine your your information that you're giving them. It's like, yeah, no <laughs> shit. <laughs> if that's a the problem, then don't use Facebook at all. And like, I'm not saying you should be okay with it. I'm saying this to me is not the straw, right? Uh, manipulating elections and people's feelings after a tragedy <laughs> was a lot more severe than them knowing you had somebody's status. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So what have you been using any of these alternate Facebook likes? I, I've I actually used have. a couple. Yeah. I've I've ha-hawed and wowed a few things. Yeah, I I mean the features a fine feature. I mean I love it in Slack that you can use literally any emoji including ones you create and um the second they added that feature it was kind of yeah, all of the Slack teams on I'm on embraced it immediately and I think it's fun. I mean, I don't really feel like the sinister part of Facebook is already well known. This is just a fun feature. I can't actually imagine myself using the the sad one like people are probably imagining cuz there's there's a joke, there's even a they make it the joke in family guy of all places, but it's an old joke where like someone says, you know, oh my my aunt passed after a very long battle with cancer. It was tragic, but you know, we're glad that she's finally at peace and and then someone will like like that status and you're like i don't this doesn't really represent how i'm feeling but i'm not gonna type a whole comment because like we went to high school together and i haven't seen you in 20 years and i agree that liking that status is not appropriate but somehow like sad face with teardrop (laughs) is also not super appropriate (laughs) it's like if someone said you know oh my aunt died after this long tragic battle with cancer and then you sent them like a comical cartoony like (laughs) drugstore get well card it's like if you're not willing to to actually engage this person or to even just write a thoughtful comment then maybe this just doesn't merit that kind of a response this is not a situation where emoji is the right tool <laughs> to reach for. And then the yeah. angry one is similar. Like if I'm actually angry about something, uh, that's probably going to get a comment instead of just a like, err face. Yeah. Well, and it's like, yeah, it's more like for the mock anger, like, like, Oh, I had to call the cable company and they said this crap. And then someone puts angry face. It's like, ha, ah, I'm Yeah. Like, that's fine. When people are actually angry, it's kind of like, you know, when someone gets really quiet and you're like, oh, shit, just got real. <laughs> like, you, there's no emoticon. It's just like this quiet, like, creepy rage. <laughs> quiet, creepy rage. I guess with uh, Facebook, it's a little harder to tell if someone's being quiet, creepy, and rageful because there's this constant onslaught of garbage. Um but constant onslaught of garbage, I think, is a perfect segue into this last thing we want to talk about, uh, which is uh, AMP AMP pages and Facebook instant articles. Yeah, which one of our, our friends of the show, Ido, shared with us and was like, I know it's not Netflix socks, but you guys want to talk about this? Yeah, that with a, with a selling line like that, I was just like, <laughs> you had my, what is it? You had my attention, now you have my, or you had my curiosity, now you have my attention? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I want to say first, I will explain what both of these things are. And I, right off the bat, I just want to say, I don't feel like they are the same thing. Everyone <laughs> in the tech sphere is basically equating them. And to me, they are incredibly different ways of attacking a similar problem. 
but they have such wildly yeah. different pros and cons. Well, and the way they're different reflects the company's predominantly behind them, I think, pretty very, well. Very true. So let's quickly explain what these two things are. Uh, AMP is an open source consortium mainly led by Google, but also a ton of news organizations and some other tech organizations. Uh, it's the Accelerated Mobile Pages Project. And this is their way of doing some HTML and JavaScript trickanery that a lot of tech purists think is evil to uh, serve up content faster, per particularly static content, right? So newspaper articles, journal articles, blog articles, things where you're going and reading and looking at pictures. It's not a game. It's not interactive. Um, maybe there's video embeds, but they're not like you don't interact with it in any way. So it's static content. Um, and then the, on the Facebook side, there's this Facebook instant articles thing, which is kind of what it says on the tin, really. Like you publish this content and Facebook has it and they serve it up instantly. Um, and I'm, I'm mostly interested in AMP because of the, the technology that they're trying to make happen. But the, the real difference between these two things is AMP is a way you format your content that makes it do magic. And Facebook Instant Articles is where you literally just hand your content over to Facebook and yeah. say, hey, can this get some preferential treatment, please? That'd be cool. And since Facebook's like, it's our platform, we control feeding this to people. It's our way or the highway, unless you want to send them to your slow website. Yeah. I mean, and they, it even previews differently in the feed when you're scrolling, uh, just like native Facebook videos. Um <laughs> perform differently and look differently than a YouTube embed or a link to a YouTube video would. So, I mean, Facebook is very much trying to own content. And I don't mean that in the creepy, like, oh, they can use it for whatever they want, stupid kind of way. Yeah. I mean, like, they want you to publish to Facebook, right? It used to just be status updates. Then it was uh, pictures. Then it was they tried their thing with notes, which hasn't really worked out. <laughs> Still um, technically exists, but no one uses it. Yeah, except Mark Zuckerberg to announce his daughter was born. <laughs> um, and then now with Facebook Instant Articles and the, the inline videos, they're really making a play to say, like, no, don't put your video on stupid old YouTube. Give it to us. Yeah. Right? And, and this is like a really aggressive tack on it. With AMP, what they're doing is uh, Google and, and these, these consortium people here are saying, mark up your content with our stuff, with our JavaScript and our HTML, and then we will serve it wicked fast. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, all of that third-party JavaScript you have, none of that's allowed. Oh, a bunch of those wacky HTML tags you were using? Yeah, those all have to go. And... Oh, you want to serve ads though on your your blog? Okay, well they have to be in this list that our JavaScript, our AMP JavaScript, can serve up, and then it can appear on your page. And of yeah. course, Google's on that list, but so are other companies. And and this is what has the publishers freaking out: is when you give your content over to Facebook, you kind of understand what you're giving up, like. It's yeah, you can still put ads in there, but it's like you're really just giving them content. Like you don't control the platform in any way. Uh, with this AMP thing, Google's acting more like, no, it's still your platform and it's still your content, but we're going to tell you how to do it because you obviously don't know how. And that's yeah. where the contention is coming from. 
And on beyond that, um, you can opt uh, to have Google cache all of your stuff. So that's part of how, not just the the fact that it's limited HTML and JavaScript, but also the fact that they're going to cache the whole thing um, to sort of match Facebook's also selling, hey, we're going to cache all this stuff and serve it up super fast. And I think it's... I'm pretty sure of this. I'm going to feel like an idiot if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that this whole thing grew out of uh, Google's Newsgeist, which is like them and a bunch of publishers and journalists all get together and they're like, hey, how can we make journalism and publishing on the web suck less? Because we sell ads and you need ads on your content and we need content to sell ads against. So like it's a mutually beneficial relationship for all those things to be performant. And Jeff Jarvis had has an amazing quote that he trots out constantly because he feels like people don't believe him, which is we, meaning publishers, screwed up the web. Like the web sucks and is slow and is dangerous and full of security holes because of publishers. Like your personal blog and somebody's like flash animation they post to Newgrounds and somebody's video of their kid taking their first steps on YouTube, that did not break the web. But it's going to a crappy website with 50, 60, 70, literally, I'm not exaggerating, trackers and ad bots and things on it and a bunch of wacky, like, oh, the content fades in and then the images swoop in from the side. Like, (laughs) nobody needs that crap. That crap is completely unnecessary. And all of that is from different publications trying to stand out or trying to collect more data and trying to serve better, better ads. And yeah, they, they kind of broke it. They sort of made the experience terrible and now ad blockers and now instant articles and now amp. And then the publishers are freaking out. Some of them are freaking out and being like, Oh, we're losing control. And it's like, yeah, cause you suck. Like your users want you to die and go away. Yeah. It's also worth mentioning. Apple news is kind of in the same space. That's sort of their own spec. Yeah, for- they're, they're more like the instant article side. But yeah, very, yeah, very similar. Very similar. Yeah, it's 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 Apple-y because it's in their app on their devices, and it's not an open web kind of thing. And uh, so, yeah, it definitely is more on the Facebook instant side of things. Though I believe um, Apple is basically letting you can run your own ads in your content there, and Apple's not really controlling that. Which I think Instant Articles is doing, but there's there's rules around how the ad content gets into the actual content so that it's still performant. Um, But I don't think there's any restrictions on the types of ads or the number of ads. Yeah. So the interesting thing to me is that here we've just listed off a bunch of Silicon Valley companies that are now deciding how (laughs) publishers get to present their stuff. Um, I say deciding not because literally publishers couldn't say, you know, show their middle finger and say, I'm going to do my own (laughs) thing, but more like, yeah, but do you want actual users to see it? Well, then you got to play ball with Silicon Valley now because the p- devices and the websites people find things through are controlled by Google, Apple, and Facebook. And so, and maybe Twitter a little bit, but not really. <laughs> no, not, not, really. <laughs> not at all. And so they, they get to set the terms and set the agenda. And yeah, there's some, maybe some negotiation because, you know, 99% of the content is coming from publishers so that they, they at least have that to bargain with a little bit but really i mean it's up to silicon valley and it's is there many industries that aren't basically going to face this same thing or haven't already faced the same thing of like 
oh, we had such crappy user experience. Oh, we're music companies or we're, we're Hollywood. <laughs> and now it's television and uh, uh, eventually television once the cable companies are <laughs> dragged kicking and screaming uh, towards it. Um, they have to negotiate with software now. I mean, isn't this the like, uh, like the Anne Rindian like wet dream that these <laughs> these company you had an incumbent like you know cable TV it kind of sucked but what choice did we have and I mean there are good parts about cable TV but then a vastly indisputably superior in every conceivable way alternative came along. <laughs> And then cable TV was like, no, this, no, you need to stick with us because we've always been there for you. And it's like, people don't think that way. You don't, you just can't expect the market to conduct itself in that kind of bizarre loyalist way. And what's well, the classic mismatch of what the company thinks they're selling versus what the customer thinks they're buying, that those things are not the same most of the time. They just align for a while. And so newspapers are like, we sell premium journalism. And it's like, no, you sell one ads and the internet killed one ad. So you're over. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, buddy. You had your chance. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, is this, uh, I can't think of the exact source. It's 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 like flying right out of my head. But um, you you can't expect an incumbent to disrupt themselves. Like no taxi company, you know, Yellow Cab was never going to say we should probably invent Uber before. It's incredibly hard. Else. Yeah, because then you're cannibalizing yourself. If you don't do it right, you might teach other people how to destroy your industry. I mean, it's 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 definitely it's like a complicated um, and maybe even impossible. I can't even think of a good. I'm sure there are some, but I can't think of a good instance of a well, company I mean, doing this. That's what they call the innovator's dilemma. Is the the summary encapsulation of what mm, you're describing. Yeah. Yeah, that. Thank you. That was it. I knew there was like a nice packaged term for it. It was just totally escaping me. <laughs> so my thing with with AMP, and I'll let you get to your your devil's advocate questions. But my thing with AMP is one of the main concerns that I've seen is people are saying, "Well, how am I going to publish my stuff and still have it be like surfaced high in Google search results? Aren't they going to penalize me because I'm slower?" than an AMP page, like AMP pages are automatically going to win out because they're faster. And yeah, maybe, but you already knew that for one, like AMP content being faster isn't winning because it's AMP content. It's because it's faster. So you could also strip all of that garbage off yeah. of your page, not turn it into an AMP page and make it super flat and wicked fast. And there you go. And another important part of this is I think speed is important to Google. I don't think it's as big of a deal as like um, reference linking. I think reference linking is still the heart of their algorithm. So if you write a blog post and then the you know the New York Times and Time.com and the Wall Street Journal and and all Business Insider like all these super super reputable people link to your <laughs> blog post like. When people search for the topic of your blog post, that's going to come right up to the top because you've been given all of this credit. Yeah. 
Yeah, their credibility has fed your site. Exactly. And I, I think that based on just my experience searching for stuff on Google is that kind of credibility has to be the still the largest factor because when you search for something and the first thing you get is The Verge and I'm like, well, their website kind of sucks. Yeah, it's they're, slow. They're not winning on mobile friendliness. They're not winning on speed. They're winning because there's 8 billion links on Twitter that all point to this freaking Verge article, right? <laughs> so there's all this credibility saying that this is a valid place to go to get whatever this article happens to be about. So I really don't think this this AMP thing is breaking. Like, it's oh, it's going to break search. Um, and then the other complaint that I've heard is that it's um, – it's subsetting HTML. It's a subset of HTML and it's being restrictive about JavaScript. And those things are true, but the reason I feel like they're not very valid concerns is uh, for one thing, all they're doing is telling you not to use garbage that you, you don't have to use to serve up text. Like they're not banning anything that would interfere with your ability to write a think piece or a blog article or a, a newspaper article. Um, and then the other side of it is, uh, anyone who says like, this is going to be a burden, um, no, because it's going to be a WordPress plugin or a blogger plugin or a Tumblr, you know, extension where everything will just be served up just like we used to serve stuff up as like mobile ready and, and desktop version. It will now just quietly create an amp version for you in the background and, and you won't have to do any extra work. So I really I feel like all of the uh, all the attitude around AMP is it's not that the concern isn't legitimate. I feel like the uh, the response from the project and if you examine what they're actually doing puts those concerns to rest. So go ahead and give me your devil's advocate questions, <laughs> and I will act as Google spokesperson and shoot yes. them down. Well, and Facebook spokesperson. No, never mind. <laughs> um, my main one is how do we avoid the XKCD? And it's comic number 927. This gets p- pulled up a lot every time there's a new thing proposed in tech. And that's the competing standards joke where it's like, there are 14 of these things. Or in this case, there's a million different bad ways publishers are making websites. Let's make AMP. And now everyone will use this great way to make websites. And how will we not just end up, well, right now we have AMP, we have Facebook Instant, we have Apple News, we have who knows how many. Do people still use Flipboard? Or they were acquired, weren't they? Whatboard? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, how do we not just end up with 20 AMPs? So I think from for Google's dollar, the goal of this is to make publishers and just the web in general faster and more mobily because that's where most web growth is happening is on mobile. Um, even though mobile screens are now like gigantic and they have super powerful computers underneath them, but you know, all the growth is, is happening there. And if somebody came out with a competitor to amp that was faster and better, I think they would probably be like, you know what, whatever, because if the web generally wins, Google generally wins. And that is, they've always been very clear on that. Like, we want more people to use the internet because that is where we do business. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, no one's going to buy our ice cream if if it's negative 20 degrees outside. So I feel like it's it's not disingenuous of them to support this. And the other thing is, this is 
Uh, I don't think this is really going after the moniker of standard. I think it's more like this is a problem we recognize. Everyone agrees that this is a problem. Here is a way to solve it. Go for it. (laughs) Right? Like if somebody came out with a competitor to AMP or if you just on your own natively implemented these things, you stripped out all the clunky JavaScript, you were using a super fast CDN, I don't think they would consider that a challenge here. I think they would be like, awesome, you made your website better. And they would totally, I mean, the the Google Webmaster um, like tools that they provide have been encouraging this kind of stuff for ever. So AMP is, to me, just a continued push in that direction. So yeah. there's your competing standards one. <laughs> Boom, next. I mean, we already covered most of these, <laughs> but I mean... Just the devil's advocate of like, what are publishers giving up by embracing AMP? Are they giving up anything? Is there anything of value that is lost? So the one thing that was not terribly clear to me reading through this, and I haven't gone all the way into the code and I haven't looked at at every single example, is analytics. Um, If you have literally 20 or 30 different analytics packages, you're either an idiot (laughs) long pause <laughs> or there is something that you are getting from each of those packages that you want to collate together, right? One of them determines the browser user agent and another one determines their time zone. <laughs> and for some reason you can't get one thing that does both of those. I know it's a terrible example, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, for there must be some reason uh, and it, it's possible it's a business reason, right? It's possible that certain ad networks say, no, no, you can't give us someone else's analytics. It has to be our tracker. And now that I say that out loud, that's almost definitely it. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know how analytics is going to work with this. And I don't just mean, you know, publisher analytics, like how many people came, how long did they stay, what was their bounce rate, um, but also this kind of, uh, um, what do you call it, like uh, demographics, uh, because demographics are what ad companies care about. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how that works, and I suspect that is a huge sticking point for publishers. I also didn't see the full list of what ad networks are going to be part of AMP, but uh, you know, one of the things I think that's str- a struggle for quality ads, which by quality I mean not intrusive, not giving you viruses or malware, not whatever doing more than they should like breaking pages and breaking experiences. Um, one of the reasons that's been hard for publishers to control is because the ad revenue that they want or need to survive comes from companies that refuse to use better ad networks or, you know, not everyone can be John Gruber and serve one ad in their sidebar (laughs) and, you know, earn thousands of dollars for a, you know, his entire company is one guy. Um, that's not a model that very many other people get to do. You don't get to be a web celebrity, every single journalist. And so what's the joke? It's fine for Merlin. (laughs) Oh, that's fine for Merlin. What are the rest of us going to (laughs) do? Basically. Um, and so, yeah, if you're, if you're a, a, a small time newspaper, uh, whether it's a, a local one or whatever, um, you're kind of at the mercy of where the advertisers, they're like, hey, we were on these networks, so put this JavaScript in there or die. So I guess what I would hope for, <laughs> not just you don't get our ads, you have to die. 
um, <laughs> is something like AMP could help with that, like get advertisers on board with a little bit less of a skeevy, we're going to use that word many more times, <laughs> less skeevy ads, and then that gives publishers the option to not completely, not feel like they have to destroy their web pages just to survive. Yeah, there's also, th- this is the other big complaint is... Um, if I am a completely reputable uh, publication and I happen to be using an ad network that is not supported by AMP, even though they are completely reputable, then this is where the scary like um, uh, like monarchy dominion thing comes in where Google – and remember, this is an open source project. So Google would say, well, any ad network is welcome to join as long as they meet these criteria. And then, of course, the publishers and the ad networks are like, well, what if we disagree with your criteria of what makes an acceptable ad network? And okay. that that point of contention, I think, is legitimate. Um, but someone, I'm not saying it should be Google, someone does have to make these decisions. Like, uh, Apple made the decision to build in ad blocking because they wanted users on an individual basis to make that decision. Um, you know, users in general. And no one talks about that anymore. Like, no. it was supposed to end everything everywhere because. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, that was going to be the end of the web. It was going to shut down every publisher. It was going to be awful. But that's what I mean. Is like, so they put the control in the individual users' hands. And I feel like publishers in general are afraid of users, the collective, right? Like if we do something shady, we will lose our readers, right? Our collective users. Um, whereas in this case, uh, the the decision maker is much more on the side of the, the platform. It's not really a platform, but the, the project, you know, runners and some people take umbrage with that and they're like, no, I don't want them to make the decision for me. And it's like, then don't use their thing. Yeah. It's like, no, but then what if their thing performs better? And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what they're selling. They're trying to sell a superior product that'll perform better to make it worth your while. Like that's, that's the transaction that's taking place here. Yeah. And um, then you could imagine if AMP could roll in, like it just depends how user focused it would end up being, or, you know, they have to thread the needle of advertisers, publishers, and users. And that's people that have competing interests um, sometimes. And, uh, you know, one of the things they, you know, famously do not track failed miserably because advertisers <laughs> were like, oh, you're going to have that beyond by default. We're never going to respect it. And it was just like, God damn it, advertisers. Which and, is, uh, that's a weird one because I know that went nowhere, but it's weird to me that it was even possible for the advertisers to say, we will ignore this privacy setting. Like, oh, you have this built in privacy feature? We're going to ignore it because we have the capability to ignore it. So we're gonna. That's why it's a classic case of policy doesn't actually control behavior. So (laughs) you have to, there has to be a technical implementation. So that's one thing I was going to say about AMP. I don't know if they're doing any of this, but part of setting the spec on what's acceptable for ads could be, hey, you have to respect do not track. No, yeah, I don't know what they're doing with do not track, but they are controlling the other stuff. So, like, what analytics can be in there, what ads can be in there, which I found on this handy page slash who on their website. Uh, it lists all of their media partners, but then at the bottom, it also lists the ad networks, of which there are 
uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, one, two, 20. <laughs> so hopefully that's enough. Uh, <laughs> and then there's uh, about a dozen um, analytics partners. So I'm sure there are lots and lots and lots and lots more ad networks than that and many more analytics companies than that. Yeah. But they're trying, right? Well, I think that what has me a little optimistic is AMP feels more pragmatic than completely idealist solutions of like block all the things <laughs> or or just the the skeeviness of like well it's it's on facebook now and it's like yeah. oh, i don't only want to read on facebook and i don't want all of my publishers beholden to facebook's algorithms and, and the 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 people who are really freaking out about this are saying you know facebook is trying to become the internet that's where you go to look at photos. That's where you go to read articles. That's where you go to watch videos. Like they are the yeah. internet. They, they drove their ice cream truck to India, but they said, no, <laughs> we skipped that story today. But yeah, <laughs> um, And then on the other side, people are saying that Google is trying to shape the open web in their image so that they can still say with a straight face, like, no, it's the open web. It's just that we control all of the standards by which yeah. the open web is defined. We did not twist anyone's arm, but we made this nice thing that everyone decided to use that right. happens to benefit the way we do business. Yeah, and we're on a roll with false dichotomies here. So uh, <laughs> assuming I have to choose one of these things, I would choose AMP, right? This yeah. this kind of thinking. Because uh, one, nobody has to do it. Two, I don't think doing it is going to be technologically... Uh, burdensome to anyone, right? It's going to be a plugin in whatever your CMS is and wizardry will just happen. Uh, and three, even though it is changing some basic web standards to fit into this model, it's still really at the heart of it kind of built on this open web technology. Anybody could come along right now, go to GitHub, fork AMP, and have a competing thing running in minutes. Um, Facebook instant articles, you can't do that because they're saying, you know, write your thing down and then put it into our locked box and then yeah. we will let people see it if they come over and stand and look over our shoulder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Facebook could even like uh, open source the like doc spec they're using because it doesn't matter because you're yeah. not going to get your fork onto their platform. Yeah. And, and there's always a question of like deep links, like you can deep link to an amp page from anywhere on the web, no matter what actually happens with AMP, it's still HTML content. Yeah, and, that's but, good. <laughs> yeah, but with like a Facebook instant article, it's like, oh, Facebook is down, so everything I've ever published is inaccessible. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what we were complaining about Medium theoretically being able to do if they choose to someday, Yeah, but have not done. <laughs> yeah, so any other, uh, any other softball... Devil's advocate questions on it. No, AMP. just uh, are there are there any valid concerns, if, or is this all skies falling bullshit from people that just want to make things seem scary? I mean, to me, f from what I've seen and from what I understand of how the code actually works, it is absolutely sky is falling. It's just not. It's not the end of the world, and nothing about it makes me think it could somehow trick us and become the end of the world, like. <laughs> Like it's gonna lure us in, and then we're gonna fall into the tiger trap and get impaled on bamboo spikes. I just, I don't, 
I don't see a world in which Google could pivot so hard, so suddenly to benefit from controlling the web in that way that doesn't still benefit everyone. Like, I mean, it's the, the, the benevolent overlords. Like, yes, they are the biggest name in search and they are a huge contributor to technologies, but they've tried to do things like Dart and Go that have not been giant monumental successes. And and they've tried to impose things on the web that have failed. And then they're like, hmm, users hated that. Let's not do that anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like they have a long history of making the web better. And when they tried to do something that was a bridge too far they backed off or they totally were admitted. They were like, yeah, that was dumb. Super sorry guys. All right. So I'm, I'm yeah, fine. Google overlords, whatever. Keep it up guys. <laughs> My biggest concern with Facebook is they're so damn successful at <laughs> almost everything they do. And that's frustrating. Even if I like hate their product, like it, they somehow strike the nerve of, well, our billion users ate it up like crazy. And so Facebook instant like has a high chance of success because from the user's perspective that's already opted into Facebook world, it's like, yeah, I tapped that. And even though I'm on like crappy Wi-Fi, this article showed up immediately. I already cached it in the background when it showed that part of my feed. Like they, their magic is going to work for users. And so I'm like, damn it, their business model is worse for the world. The I feel like the publishers have the power to not... Uh, to not make this a game ender because as long as you know buzzfeed and i'm looking at the list of some of their partners the new york times and national geographic and nbc news as long as all of these people continue to simultaneously and i mean that simultaneously publish to the open web the same way they're publishing to medium and to facebook and to apple news and whatever else as long as they feed all those channels identical content at the exact same time, then I say, fine, put stuff directly on Facebook. I don't have a problem with you going to where your readers are. Yeah. I have a problem with you saying we're shutting down our website to only publish yeah. on Facebook. But there's a limit to how much cross-posting because, yeah, you can streamline a lot of it with like clever scripts and plugins and whatever with however they're they're publishing to their website but there's a limit to how many different flavors you're going to publish in and i i do i do think publishers are are going to choose a few and be like that's it no that's absolutely true and i expect them to choose whatever the biggest ones are my only requirement is that if it's not one of their biggest drivers of traffic, they still need to include the open web. <laughs> so if you're going to publish to to Apple News and Facebook Instant Articles, because that's where all your business is, that's fine. Can you please also just publish it out to the web so I can read it? And not because I don't have an iPhone, I'm never going to have access to Apple News. Nothing I do short of buying an iPhone can give <laughs> yeah. me access to that. Right? I cannot become a customer of you know, the New York times in that this scenario without also becoming a customer of Apple. Whereas at least with Facebook, it's like, yeah, there is a transaction happening there, but I don't have to buy a $600 yeah. Facebook connector. Right. <laughs> or got a Facebook phone. Think they'll ever <laughs> try that again. <laughs> God, I hope not. I think they've wised up from their two monumental failures, <laughs> but this, I, I will say in Facebook's defense, uh, if I understand this correctly from their little um, 
you know, kind of gigantic images cover page here, uh, instant articles are actually published from RSS content, which means the overhead for these these publications is wicked low. Yeah. That, that's cool. I don't know how what Apple News works. What publisher doesn't have RSS enabled? Right. And and it's such a low barrier, even if you don't have it enabled. I mean, really, come on. Like, it's not that much work. So this, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty... I trust publishers like journalists to continue to maintain their own slice of the web for the foreseeable future. Uh, it's... I wonder how some of the other new millennial media like BuzzFeed, which is like, who gives a crap if we have a website? We just want those sweet, sweet clicks. Yeah. Like, they are actually a little bit incentivized to just publish directly to Facebook because then they're like, oh, we don't have to run servers now. <laughs> Only if you trust your overlords. Yeah, but if you're BuzzFeed, you know, your young, hip company, they're just like, ah, oh, whatever. We'll just go on to the next thing. <laughs> and I'm I'm afraid if that attitude shows a successful business model that they may accidentally set a precedent for real journalism. (sighs) All right. Was that a heavy enough ending from our incredibly light beginnings? I think so. All right. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can find them as always at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash one zero eight for episode one Oh (laughs) eight. Mike and I both love feedback. You can find us most easily on the Twitters. I am at Lions and Beta, and Mike, you are? At Pseudo Michael, S-U-D-O Michael. In fact, uh, you know, looking over our show doc here, I would say fully 75% of what we covered today was all from listener submissions and feedback. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Look at how engaged we are. (laughs) Uh, If you want to make sure that you always get new episodes when they release, you should subscribe. That's the easiest way to make sure they show up in your podcatcher of choice. Uh, We have iTunes and RSS buttons right on the website. You can find us wherever finer podcasts are aggregated. (laughs) Uh, I'm still using Pocket Cast. Are you still on Overcast? Yep. Just like every other week. One day you're going to be like, no, I switched and it's totally going to screw me up. I'm not going to know what to do. Uh, if you want to sponsor us a little bit more directly, right, not just subscribe, not just reach out, not just tell your friends and family, uh, you can actually back us on Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And depending on the level you support us at, you may actually get your name shouted out at the end of uh, this show or all the shows. So with that, I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Accelerated Mobile Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, and Justin Edwards. We love you all so much we could not do without you. So much love. I, I'm using Facebook's love right now. A little heart, little white heart in a red circle, but everybody's <laughs> going to call it a red heart. Ah, <laughs> see you next week. 